Out of the 93 Best Picture winners, one must be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast where us four Backlog boys try to tackle all of the Best Picture winners and discover which one of them is truly the best Best Picture. My name is Timo and I'm of course joined by Tucker, Tanner, and Abram. And today, for the start of season three of Quest for the Bestest, it's episode 60, we are going to talk about the film Patton from 1970. Unfortunately, not a nice coincidental number date lineup there, but what can you do? This film directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, starring George C. Scott in the titular role. And, um, well, we've all had a good amount of time off from Quest, so we're coming back into the swing of things here, and I can't wait to talk about it. But first, we need to do a little recap. We're going to go all the way back to last year, 2021, because, oh my God, it's 2022 already. And um, Yeah, well, last time... Last year, we talked about American Beauty. It ended up at place number 11 with a score of 9.0 overall, pretty high marks across the board. I remember Tanner particularly liking that movie and very good discussion, a lot of fun. Um, and if you do, if you missed that episode, it's been out for a while, but if you missed it, I recommend go, go in and checking it out. All right, Tucker, I think you've got some featured comments, right? Or maybe just I one? I do. I do. We got a number of comments, believe it or not, in the month that we've taken off of this show. Um, but of course, John Tour 11 is our number one commenter, and he was certainly our number one commenter over the break because he played a Quest catch-up. It was very nice to see comments on a bunch of old Quest episodes that he was currently watching through. But the comment that he left on the American Beauty episode is what we're going to be focusing on today, where he says, Loved your discussion. Excuse me. Let me restart that. Loved your discussion, guys. As always, back in the day, me and my girlfriend couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree on what movie to see. For some reason, she thought that American Beauty would be a more romantic film, and I didn't correct her. Let's just say she was very disappointed. The Matrix and The Sixth Sense might be the most well-known movies from this year, but it is American Beauty that is the gem. It's funny, disturbing, horrifying, and thought-provoking. I agree with Tanner. Now, that's a dangerous thing to say, but uh, <laughs> this one is one of the bestest. 9.3 out of 10 from from... The critic himself, John Tour 11. Very close score to ourselves. So we, oh, yeah. it, it appears yes. great minds thought alike for the uh, the film American Truly. Beauty. I but, just, if I may, Timo, because if we're talking about comments here for a second, we've been off since season three. I think we we ought to offer an apology to the audience for for our collective ages, right? I, I've, there's been some ire within certain oh, old yes. geriatric sects of the of the yes. for the bestest audience who think we're too young to critique all of these dumb and boring films we watch every mm-hmm. week. So I wanted to say I'm sorry for being 21 and having a youthful frame. I I would like to personally apologize for not making the active decision to be 45 years old. I'm very sorry for that. I would have loved uh, to see Lawrence of Arabia in theaters, but unfortunately, the cookie did not crumble that way. So you're just going to have to accept me how I am. You're just going to have to listen to these based, young, youthful takes, these hot, spicy takes. Maybe we'll do a TikTok dance while, while we give our based takes. No, thank you. Nope. Let's just get oh. into the takes on Patton. <laughs> All right. Franklin okay. J. Shafter, George C. Scott, what do you guys think of this film? Just right off the bat, your initial your initial observations, maybe thoughts that came to you after you finished the whole thing. 
Uh, I think this movie is. I think it's good. I think it, they 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 made a great decision in calling this movie Patton and really selling it on George C. Scott. As opposed of, to what? <laughs> uh, war movie number three hundred and seventeen. Because outside of his performance, that's really what this is for me. Uh, I think that George C. Scott really elevates this film uh, beyond the this the rest of the sum of its parts, and uh, he, he he elevates it to a level that I appreciate. Uh, I don't know if a lot of this will stick with me outside of his performance, but I feel like that will be what we talk about the most in this, is that George C. Scott Oscar-winning performance. Yes, I think that uh, that George C. Scott clearly carries the film. I'll just lead into my thoughts. I don't know. It seemed mm-hmm. natural. Um, and all in all, I liked the film. Um, I found it interesting despite its almost three-hour runtime. It's fairly long, um, but it has an intermission. And so, you know, I, I was... I was in it for the whole time, um, and while I felt that like the parts that were most most focused on on Patton as a character were were the most interesting, the, some of the other elements of the film um, entertained me as well. Although it didn't provoke a huge amount of like deeper level thought within me um, after the film was done, so I think there's some pluses and some minuses that I want to get into after I hear from the two fellas on the opposite side of me, Tucker and Abram. Uh, my, the, the prevailing thought while I was watching Patton is, is this straight on the wall because I was hanging it while watching because this movie is boring. <laughs> Here's the thing about Patton. Uh, I was familiar with the film. I hadn't seen it before, but we had talked about it as being in, uh, like at the, at sort of the, the precipice of Vietnam cinema movie released sure. in the seventies. Um, and so Not a Vietnam War film, though. No, but but during but during that era, of course, is, is when the film released. And I, I think that from sort of like a macro level, I don't really know what I was supposed to feel about Patton by the time the movie ended. Sure. I, I think it not only does it feel incredibly muddled, I think it feels very dull on an emotional level. I think this film wants you to feel a lot more than you do. The only scene that I felt really emotionally engaged by is the scene that ended up becoming, which I didn't know, the crux of Patton's involvement in the rest of World War II, being when he slaps the shit out of that soldier in, yeah. the, in, the, med, in the med tank. Med tank. This isn't Book of Boba med Fett. Tent. <laughs> med tent. Um, so, but outside of that, it just felt perfunctory. It felt like, here's the battle sequence. Here's the soldier lying dead. Here is the, the, the chatter in the war room. I ultimately feel like the scene that opens the film of Patton in front of the American flag communicates everything the movie wants to say before it's even begun. Sure. I, I found it to be not a particularly sharp movie. Yeah, so this is a really interesting one for me because I watched this uh, this film on a, my, uh, this, I'm talking about previous experience because it's my second time watching it uh, for Quest. I watched this film a few years ago over Discord with a couple of friends. Um, I watched it on my laptop while I was sort of doing other things in the background and I came out of that first viewing Nine out of ten. Oh my god, this is amazing! I went into this with Tanner by my side, and I'm like, Tanner, this is gonna be great. We're gonna love this. This is gonna be, this is gonna be a grand old time. And for that opening segment, you know, huge speech, crass dialogue, giant American flag in the background, great crisp close-ups of like George C. Scott's eyebrows and stuff. I'm like, I'm in. Great. You get some really impressive battle sequences, of course, throughout. You get uh, some interesting development of Patton as a character. But then you have to watch this movie for almost 30 fucking hours. And, and and I think when I think of what a long film does that that turns me away is not justifying its runtime, 
by feeling empty in a lot of regards, and I think that's what this film does. I, I think this is a good film. I think it has a lot of elements that make me realize, okay, I know why people were impressed by this, but to the eye of someone who is watching all the best picture winners, who's seen a lot of long movies, who's seen a lot of war films, there's not a ton that this film offers outside of George C. Scott's performance as Patton, which is categorically incredible. I, I think he's he's one of the most compelling just actor-character combinations that I've seen, and he carries every scene he's in because he's the only pillar this film has to stand on, in my opinion, except except for some some impressive set design and, and scope and scale and those sort of things. Um, but uh, I, I think the thing that draws away from this film the most and why I feel like it doesn't justify its runtime is because, oh man, this is the weakest cast of supporting characters I have ever experienced. I mean, you get a great core character and like one and a half supporting characters to bounce off of, neither of whom are particularly well-developed or are just okay acted and don't get a ton of screen time. I, I think that's this film's biggest flaw and it really soured my impressions going out. Although on the whole, I do think this is still a good film. Okay. Well, I think, Tucker, you talking about the first scene makes me want to talk about the first scene because that Why is... Why not? Let's start there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to open the film, I think, in that that flag... It's so humongous. It's so gigantic. I, good Lord, yeah. I'm going to be honest, I thought it was going to be bigger. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You can't impress this man. I'm going to level with you. Uh, but if I may, start off with a bit of trivia about this. Uh, George C. Scott did not want that scene to be the opening of the film. Hmm. He he thought that, it, he thought that uh, it was probably the, the highlight of his performance and didn't want to, like, Start there and then uh, operate at a lower level for the rest of the three-hour runtime. Sure. And uh, Franklin uh, D. Schaffner, right? That's the Jay. director. Jay Schaffner, excuse me. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, George, you know, don't worry. We'll put it, like, towards the end or whatever. And he's like, <laughs> we'll put it at the beginning. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think the rest of his performance is a letdown after this. No, but this just, is yeah. this is why, I can see why this is the image associated with that movie. It's a very striking Visual, very visually striking sequence. Uh, it's well directed. It keeps you involved uh, in his speech over the course of its was it six minutes? I think we timed it, Tucker. Something like that, yeah. And uh, as well as the the dialogue that he's saying. Apparently, the, those are all real Patton quotes. He didn't say them in this one speech, but it's sort of like a, a greatest hits of Patton quotes all lumped into six minutes. And uh, th there is just a lot of great one-liners in there. You get a very good understanding of who Patton is, what his philosophy on uh, war is, on being a leader is. And it, it sets a tone for the film, uh, more specifically a tone for... Uh, George C. Scott's performance. And yeah. I, I love that opening scene. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting about it is that it, it, cert uh, it certainly is a showcase for him. But I also think it's a mistake. I agree with, with Mr. Scott in this case. It's mm. a mistake to put at the beginning of the film because I think that... Sure. I don't... Honestly, I, I think that his performance has a more charisma and more depth at other places, honestly, both in that in that pivotal moment with, with the with the soldier who is screaming at him, calling him a coward and everything. Whereas his speech when he's talking to, uh, I believe it's the, is it the, is it the British women, the British allied yeah, women? It, yeah. Yes. It's, it's yes. like a group of knitting old ladies, yeah. basically. <laughs> All of that stuff is really great. I think he's consistently phenomenal, but this opening scene ends up being basically the thematic statement for the entire film. Sure. The sort of like American exceptionalism, like gamified element of war in which, we're adorned with medals. We've got the flag in the background. We're gonna go. 
we don't win the war by dying for our country. We we win the war by making other sad boys die for theirs, right? I think it very you softened that a little bit. Yeah, it cleaned up Patton's language a little bit, which I can appreciate. We don't we don't want to be do. we don't want to be crass in this show. We're very no, buttoned up. Not. We're very we're very. <laughs> I'm very up glad you used that word because oh hold on. All right, I'm buttoned up now. Uh, crass go. was exactly the word that I used. Yeah. I thought I was gigabrain coming up with that as we're watching this. I'm like, crass? That's a that's a great word to describe his dialogue, which I do think is one of the great aspects of his yeah. performance is the writing of that just ridiculously lewd and unnecessarily uh, uh, derogatory uh, dialogue that he's just constantly spouting. And it's off the bat, as, like the first words that you hear, or the first thing that you see is just him yelling a bunch of crap and and you're right about it setting the tone and, and that image being very iconic and, and one of the only I think like sort of definitive moments of this film there are a couple others sprinkled throughout but there's a reason that this sticks out and it is unfortunate that that's the highlight of the film because it is the first six minutes and, and it's also disconnected from the rest of the film, which I think is is yeah. interesting and why it could be placed anywhere, but I do think that um, Franklin J. Shafter was right. Is I think it really only feels right starting at the beginning because it's not like this is an in-universe him giving a speech to people. This doesn't flow to the next scene. It is just sort of a an externalized, idealized version of Patton in front of literally a symbolic image. Like th- this is filmmaking. And, and ex- externalized from storytelling, but I do think it works very well. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I thought that you were talking about the crassness and the and the lines from Patton, and for me, that was some of the most enjoyable moments of the film as a whole. Was when we were getting to see um, or hear rather the the one liners. I was in this film for the Patton one liners because I thought they were yeah. just funny. I thought they were just really funny, which is a little weird given like the context of the film. But I never I never felt like the film was confused in its presentation. He would say something totally off the cuff and totally ridiculous, and I I would be like, I have to laugh. That's just funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think this film does very well, and especially at the beginning as we're just getting used to Patton, is seeing other people react to that, him and that being funny in itself. He's such a ridiculous guy. Everything he says is so over the top, and everyone around him is like, what's happening? I can't believe I'm in this situation, and this guy is my leader, and I, I have to listen to him, and he's saying all this crazy stuff, and, and that's very entertaining. I think this film is comedic in a in a dark way but i think that's where part of its strength lies because i think it recognizes um through its tone and the sort of bravado energy that the entire film has that Patton is a he's a character he's a caricature of a man and everything he's saying is over the top and ridiculous and he fits into this really ridiculous over the top stereotype and that's there's there's humor in that there's dark humor in that because he's a leader even though he is a good military strategician, strat- uh, he's still cr- little, maybe a little bit too crazy. Uh, and that's definitely funny. Yeah, I think it's funny, but I just don't necessarily know, because the, the film is pretty clearly anti-patent, believe it yeah. or not. I, but, but I think what's weird about it is that it paints him in this sort of pseudo-sympathetic light that I think is supposed to sort of reflect the nuance in his character, but ultimately just makes me feel like we didn't do a whole hell of a lot more than just tell a bit of a biopic here. Because I think what this film does, it does a lot of telling. It does a lot of telling about conversations about how Patton 
is a military man who leads through history, or how he's formidable because the Germans are afraid of him and they're having conversations and having strategy meetings about him. But it kind of just feels like we end up flowing through a series of events and that pace kind of peters out by the end. Yeah. And I don't feel like we make any super strong criticisms of Patton really when the film ends up spending the last third like almost patting him on the back and being like, hey, you know what? You get the army in the end. You know, Ike for the last three months actually wanted you to lead this final charge. And yeah, it ends on the melancholy note of like, you know what, his he lived his life for the glory, but he still tries to tie it into some sort of like love for his men in the end. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it just felt like, okay, here's a patent biopic. We're kind of rolling through it. He does things because he studied the Babylonians in the in the um, Athenians and everything, the Byzantines and all this, but we just hear it. It's a lot of being told things about Patton as events kind of progress towards the end of World War II. It just didn't feel very impactful to me. I I agree, Abram. I think uh, Tucker and I were talking about this when the film was winding down, uh, is that we've come to understand Patton's flaws, but we haven't seen any material outcomes by the time we hit, like, the two and a half hour, two hours, 45 minute mark. You're like, okay, so we understand that he's reckless and he's he's egotistical, but, like, where are... what, What happens when he... when he makes a decision that uh, leads to a a, a a disproportionate loss of life on the American side. And that didn't happen. And I don't want the film to, you know, maybe go out yeah. of historical realism if that didn't happen. But maybe give us a, in that sense, instead of that, maybe just give us a character introspective moment or something of that nature. Something to where we see that Patton has changed or grown or the film itself is reflecting on Patton's flaws instead of just laying them out there, but making things work out for him anyway. Yeah. See, I kind of see it in the opposite direction because I feel like the film is pro Patton. It is trying Mm. to show him as this, like, you know, the man who won world war two, not necessarily like that level, but very, very important um, American general who does whatever, you know, despite his craziness, his like actual lunacy, which I want to talk about, Despite all that, he is still like this great man of history. Um, and so the way that I see it, it's it's much more pro to him. Um, but it still doesn't feel like, like you were saying, like any of those um, negative aspects of his personality and of his character like really matter. Like he slaps the dude, he gets a slap on a wrist, pretty much like that's the biggest yeah, he's, he's point. He's put out of, of the war for a couple months. It's just kind of hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then he's, you know, stewing around a big castle and he's like, oh, I don't want to be here. Uh, but then he's put right back where he quote unquote belongs and he's just having a grand old time, big smile on his face. And then the, he wins and the movie ends. And I, and I do think that's where Tanner and I sort of started thinking, what what are they trying to say here? And, and I think Timo's reading and, and Abram's reading are in a weird conversation where I do feel like the film is pulling in both directions. I actually, I, I agree with Abram, but because of what Timo said, and, and here's how I'll explain. I think the film is anti-Patton because everyone around him hates him. He gets punished or punished for slapping a guy on the wrist. Everyone around him is, is always saying, oh man, I really wish we didn't have to deal with Patton right now. And, but it is presenting this in a darkly comedic light of he is so ridiculous, so much bravado, so much like spouting poetry and these flowery things that are 
incredibly out of character for literally anyone else, that it, it, you can read it in both ways that sort of feel like they're in a tension with each other. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it, Tucker, and I think you're right, is that Patton was a lunatic, and Timo, I'll, I'll cede that to you to talk about some of the more, <laughs> some of the outrageous things he proposed in real life that we ought to do. Um, but there's nothing wrong with portraying him as a man of nuance, because he was. Yeah, because he, I mean, undoubtedly was pivotal in helping the Allies win World War II. He mm-hmm. just was. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels like the, the film has no real interest in criticizing him further because what's complicated about it is i think that it is certainly anti-american military i i I think that first scene again establishes it pretty clearly but at the same time we get to a scene tanner because i do think we do for a moment see Patton have to reconcile with one of his failures when he goes up to that battle the tank battle afterwards and he's talking to the commander who's against the tank tread and he's like we have we are fighting in a started at 11 and it came to the morning and by the end it was hand to hand right yeah but we we move past these moments it, it, we, we linger on a shot of of a dead body but we move away right before we have to really feel it that's kind of where i i felt a sort of emotional disconnect and i, and I feel like a lot of powerful both anti and pro-war sentiment comes from that evocative emotional resonance right and i just don't think that that happened here and i think that probably would have helped me move further in one direction or the other in terms of it being staunchly anti-patent, anti-American um, you know, military or, or pro, right? Because again, the Vietnam context of the film's production, not its narrative, but its production, is important there, but it just ends up feeling like, again, Tucker, I think you're right that it exists in sort of this middle ground where you pull from both. It just feels like a biopic that doesn't yeah. go much deeper. I just wish that it cho- it chosen one or the other. I mean, yeah. it's the confusion that is making this interesting to talk about that, but leaves the film feeling a little bit unfocused and meandering because you can swing from a 30-minute segment before slash after the intermission, which comes at a strange time in the film, but uh, it, where he's sulking around and, and everyone's kind of like, a man, wish Patton wasn't here, but then that's surrounded by him being glorified and it, it's a little bit confusing. But if it had steered towards one or the other, I would have felt a lot more confident in the film's message because it, that's what's muddled and that's what makes it a little bit confusing. Abram, you said about you wished Patton's character was a little bit deeper, which I'm getting to my lunacy bit. It ties pretty much directly in. Um, in the idea of, of we we are told by Patton and by others at times of, of like, how kind of like really crazy he is. He has these delusions that he is a reincarnated warrior throughout history where he, you know, (laughs) like was around in like all the pivotal battles on earth and, you know, like has like learned from them and is now going to be this like, like kind of ubermensch warrior type. That's like batshit crazy for a general to be (laughs) spouting. And the film just like kind of like floats it there and then lets it fly away and doesn't, I feel like if you're gonna amp up the the like another aspect of of his of the negative aspect of Patton, like why not drill into some of these like really out there aspects of him as a character and as like a figure in real life? That stuff wasn't made up for the film. Like he really believed that. Um, and if I'm gonna pivot on my position a little bit, I think you could totally interpret the film as very anti-Patton, drawing some lines from the the very end of the film that he talks about. Once the war is over, Patton kind of sort of shows his true colors when he 
specifically with the line like this we were fighting the wrong enemy like if i had my way i would have teamed up with the nazis and we would have gone after the the russians gone after the soviet union and yeah. so that that's in there and that's included um and it's just kind not of, given any time to like breathe or or consider <laughs> no no and so i feel like the film in in, in its like shallowness doesn't let some of these like just weirder aspects of Patton's character they don't let it out you know they don't let the beast out and go do some really crazy stuff like I maybe would have wanted to see or at least get a better idea of throughout the film because it's introduced early it's introduced very very early in the film that he has these crazy ideas and and is kind of fancies himself the warrior poet he writes poetry like mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's kind of badass. I like that about his character, mm-hmm. but the other parts, but not he, so much. He also, that's he actually also the reason quote, I I hate Patton is because I don't like poetry, and so when I hear him say that, poetry, that's nothing to do with his military stratagem or you know personal deal, whatever. Great oh, one liner. Great one liner about his quoting his own poetry there at the beginning yes. of the film. Who wrote that? Well, that's me. <laughs> that's what's interesting about it, like, because there are those moments where we really get to the heart of how wacky Patton was, right? We we learn, for instance, it's a it's pretty much a throwaway line, but it's when um, and I want to talk about the the Germans who are like, the, I want to talk about Patton's German fan club at some point in this review. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But, <laughs> but they're talking about like how he is wealthier than the than the average uh, commanding military man, and mm-hmm. and I think the insinuation there being that he's in it for the sport, and that's kind of reinforced throughout the film, right? But. These things end up being mentioned in a way that I'm not sure if it feels reverent, but doesn't feel like it's properly you know properly criticizing what he's doing or the, the the russia thing at the end of the film is pretty wild because that was a huge thing Patton wanted to do was when the war ended invade a weak russia which was wild but the film ends before you can unpack that and again that's why i feel conflicted on the film because again you can tell a story where Patton is a bad man who also won World War II, or he's a mm-hmm. war hero who is also a bad man. I think you can have the, the you know the face and the tail of that narrative be either way, but you have to explore both. And I just don't feel like we properly explore things like him believing he was there with the Babylonians, or also wanting to you know not have World War II end. It just it just feels like we needed more time. In, in a three-hour movie, I shouldn't be asking for more time. When he's <laughs> right. at Carthage, and they're like, how do you know all this? And he's like, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> it's okay, crazy the, how the allocation of time feels pretty mishandled in this film. Obviously, very long film. As you're saying, we would have wanted it to be used for other things. But what? why I feel like this film ended up really losing my, my grip on it, um, uh, probably halfway through, if not a little bit past that, is that this film does end up getting kind of repetitive. It, it, it boils down to, once you sort of get a handle on what's happening, to, okay, uh, um, Patton lead a charge where other people are dying and he's off in a bunker. Uh, okay, the, the battle finishes. He storms into the area where they just won and everyone cheers for him. He sits back and drinks in the glory for a little bit off to the races again and and we sort of go through go through a cycle of that three or four or five or six times like i i I kind of lose lose count because it does end up feeling really repetitive and cyclical uh in a way that is obviously true the the uh, movement of war and and the pattern of his life certainly reflects that but these moments don't feel particularly stand out not that the movie is not well produced i i want to get to this film does have incredibly strong 
production design and, and scale and scope and sets and costumes and all of that, but they do end up feeling pretty samey. And the only moments where you can tell something different is happening is when you're pulled away from that into a different sequence of him slapping the guy and then having to deal with that or uh, the the Italian city cheering for him or him having to plan uh, to uh, take a different path or whatever. These are the few different sequences that end up being the most memorable. And while you're in the giant bombastic tanks and guys and explosions and all sorts of stuff sequences, it it feels like, yeah, I've, I've seen this before, not only in other films, but within this movie. Yeah, I want to talk about the battles a little bit too. If you guys, Abram and Tanner, don't have anything else to add about what we were just talking about. Um, I, I did want to do a quick rundown on my favorite patent lines, but we okay. can do that at the okay. end. Yeah, yeah that I, sounds like a good ender. Yeah. I will say, actually, directly to Tucker's point, is I feel like there's weird editing in this film. First of all, I think there's a, a several very jarring cuts that, that kind of took me out of, out of the film. But I think, on the whole, there's an issue where I don't think the editing properly conveys, like, geography. Because, Tucker, I totally feel what you're talking about of we're just moving and moving and moving. But we're not emphasizing the fact that Patton moved his men a hundred miles to yeah. reinforce a different, you know. They say a lot of, of, hey, we just crossed a hundred miles. Yeah, mm. which which we should demonstrate a little bit better. And I think it's because we will like cut to a shot of... Patton sitting in his Jeep or standing on a tank, and then we'll cut to like a soldier, and then we'll cut to the treads, and then we'll cut and we're in the battle, right? I just feel like we needed to slow some of this stuff down to, to more convey this, this because there is scale to the film, as we'll talk about in the battles, Timo, but I feel mm. like there's not a scale in, in terms of how we get between them. I wanted an Indiana Jones map, a little, a little, sure. pat, a little patent head doing a little dance <laughs> on his way across Europe. That, I mean, maybe that would have helped. I think, Abram, that your the idea of of allowing us to feel how long um, some of these treks are, um, like it, it not seeing that takes away from the like us knowing what Patton is asking his men to do because yeah. There's a couple lines throughout the film where he's like, you know, I believe in my men and we're going to be, and therefore we're going to march a hundred miles, save these guys, and we're going to do none of it with any rest. And it's like, because my men are excellent. Um, but we only sort of see like a, a, a any repercussion from that, maybe because that didn't, like there was none in, in real life. But I feel like those elements of, of scale in the film are left without a huge amount of weight. Yeah, it's actually interesting, and, and uh, we'll get to the battles in one second. I, I, you, you awakened something in me that I do think there would be a very easy way to balance this film better and have it have a lot more emotional impact. Because I think that, and I'm just headcanon rewriting Patton, best picture winner Patton, uh, but written I do think, by Francis Ford Coppola, by the way. Yes, oh, of course. True. Yes, uh, I, I think that there should have been a character with a prominent screen time that was one of his soldiers that was impacted by the crazy decisions that he was making i think that we don't see anything from his men how, how they, we only see them react to him when he's present we don't see them discuss this they don't we don't see the weariness on their faces as he hasn't given them hot food or rest in three days like these sort of things are impactful because you know that it would suck to not have hot food or rest for three days but not because you know anyone know anyone quote unquote through the characters that is being impacted by that. You only see Patton being like, man, this 
going for three days without food to rest is awesome. You know, aren't we doing great? But as he l l lounges in his Jeep with popping grapes in his mouth, of course, that's an exaggeration, but we only see his luxurious lifestyle and not the impact that he had. And it's because, as I said at the beginning, as I want to get into more later on, is this the supporting cast is very weak. And not right. getting that flip of the coin to, okay, here's the impact that his choices are having makes them feel like they don't have any weight. Yeah. I think about the battles... My whole... Francis Ford Coppola, hire me. <laughs> <laughs> He's do he just does wine now, Tucker. You don't want to be that's involved a good, that. That's a great point. Although, it, yeah. <laughs> Wine's not so bad. Um, about the battles, I think the idea of we are so... The film is so focused on Patton um, that we're never really given any a lot of time with other other characters at all and that plays out in an interesting way in the battles making their... you know They have this huge production value. There's I don't know, huge amounts of guys running around. There are real tanks moving around. There are real explosions. A lot of tanks. A lot of tanks moving around. Um, and yet, because we don't have any connection, like you were suggesting, the battles, I feel, I think, feel a little empty because Patton just watches them from afar. He's got his binoculars. Yeah. And, and as for the most part, the shots are far back as well. They're mm. very far, which helps to show, like, the sheer magnitude of this, like, constructed film reality. But yeah. it doesn't like bring me in and like be in force me to be invested in what's happening in these battles and be like, Oh, that tank just blew up. Oh yes. Let's go America. I'm just like, Oh, that tank blew up. Cool. I like explosions. That's like why I'm being brought into the battles instead of like a story. Uh, there's no like story uh, and character like drive in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another point like about the battles what? that I was constantly oh. distracted by Despite there being a lot of tanks, they're not super accurate tanks. Oh, interesting. I was, I, I was, got, I was like, oh, if there's one thing this movie's gonna got to do, it's got to get all this stuff accurate. You know, we're only a, a, a few decades removed from World War II. I'm sure they got some of this stuff lying around, uh, but it's interesting to hear that they didn't even get all of the all of the equipment well, uh, the, historically accurate. The American tanks were were quite. Oh, okay. We're, we're, okay. we're close. You know, they're what you weren't seeing. Like you're, you're really calm. I'm gonna reveal all my military history knowledge at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your Sherman tanks and that kind of stuff. It's because I played a stupid video game like four years ago that was a <laughs> tank, a World War II tank game. Um, Sherms in Super Mario Odyssey. But because you know the Germans, like they, uh, the the victors of World War II, kind of destroyed all of the like German armaments. Um, yeah. there's not really, there wasn't really any like German tanks. So they were like painted. Mm. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure, but they were not Axis vehicles. Uh, and I could tell because I know these things, but I'm sure that's like not consequential at all for the vast no. majority of viewers. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I felt the same thing that, uh, Tucker did. And I, I think all of you guys did with those battle scenes is that, wow, production design, very impressive. But there are uh, shots of shit blowing. I just going to keep going. Yeah, off pyrotechnics it, it, is it, very impressive. Yeah, with the, the like, real live planes flying over while there's pyrotechnics going yeah. on on the ground. Whoa. Cool. But I, I feel like we've brought this up in the past is that there is a cap to how impressive that is when we're dealing with a movie of this stature, this budget. They had a $12 million, $12 million budget at the time, which I did some some quick uh, calculating is about $86 million in today's dollars. So there is a cap to my uh, my, my Im me being impressed by that, as well as like how much of this sort of repetitive seeing tanks blowing up 
seeing planes uh, dropping bombs and then crashing or whatever, how much of that I can stomach for three hours without any human connection to the people who the the brave men who are perishing the brave american troops who are perishing in these in these battles and just seeing Patton sit far away with his binoculars and when they do well he go yeah and then when, and when they do bad he goes oh they're bad soldiers well it's actually interesting most of his commentary is not on how the battle is going but on how he wants to defeat the german guy that is yeah, the rommel. leader like yeah. there is a uh, rommel yes exactly uh, there's a disconnect even from his opinions on the battles because he's so highfalutin in his own mind that he's like, this is not my men on the battlefield. This is me, uh, as Patton, uh, <laughs> waging war against this other guy and we're mm. fighting and I'm very impressed by by his uh, stratagem, and but I'm going to do better. And like th- These are sort of 1v1 battles using thousands of people and that's really strange. Yeah. I read well, your book. He says, yeah, yeah well, well, th- well, that's the thing. I actually, that's a good line. And cause I think the thing is, it these, is yeah, this yeah. is intentional, the, but I think the problem is it's not executed very well sure. because the intent of these sequences and why I think another reason why the film feels more anti-patent than pro is because he does, he's either concerned about Rommel being on the battlefield so he can beat Rommel opposed to the second stringer who came in his place because Rommel had a toothache or whatever he says, (laughs) or either beating Rommel or beating Montgomery, who is the the British commander, to X location so he can get the glory. I think it is very intentional that these feel inhuman in the sense of fat man with binoculars and a dumb hat is watching these things unfold. And, and mm. I think that's, that's the intention sort of, yeah. we're going to, we're going to cut to the guys in weight under camouflage with, with the artillery in position, waiting for the Germans to approach. And then we're going to cut to Patton and Patton's going to be talking about, Ooh, we're going to get them. We're going to get them. We're going to get the 10th um, Panzer or whatever. Right. But I think the problem with that is in a film that doesn't, go far enough to criticize the fact that Patton is doing this, it ends up feeling boring. Mm, I don't... Sure. Right? Because the film sometimes does a great job of, of going from the large scale to the small. Like, sometimes you'll cut in close and a jeep will blow up and flip and land in front of you. Or when, when they're getting attacked by the German planes, um, when, when Patton's having a conversation about needing more air support and you see bullets rip through the wall and, like, destroy a vase or something then sometimes we get at least a connection back to the, to the closeness. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to remain detached, I feel like that detachment needs to feel a little bit more angled opposed to just, he, he was a detached man, because then I'm yeah. going to be a detached viewer. I just mm-hmm. think that you could have done what they're going for in a way that felt more visceral, because it just doesn't. Sure, no, yeah. that's a great point. There's uh, very I little think... mortal danger for Patton in the battles that are filled with mortality. And so it's a little mm-hmm. hard to be like, oh, I'm like, oh, is he going to win or, or, or not? You know, um, I think it's interesting wh- wh- where I thought this film was going when that first and in- when the initial uh, sort of conflict with Rommel, between Patton and Rommel was set up like, oh, this film's sort of going to be about this sort of respect among generals from different sides. Uh, but then it sort of drops Rommel as a as a presence in the film. Uh, as an I, I antagonist. He, yeah, as an antagonist, and it switches to Montgomery, which is interesting. Uh, not only in that in, in my initial thought that it was going to be about this this shared respect between Patton and Rommel. Now knowing that apparently Patton wanted to team up with the Nazis against the Soviets, which is a which is a crazy thing to learn about an, an American general. Uh, 
and also the fact that you know Montgomery, an ally of America, was uh takes over this more antagonistic role for a majority of the film. Um, yeah, I I I, I really wish no, learning more about it and hearing your guys' thoughts that it did critique Patton more for like being kind of soft on a Nazi general and then being mad at Montgomery and also Dwight Eisenhower. He's like, ah, a real American president. He he would be an American first and an ally second, not the other way around or whatever. Uh, it just seems like a, a very strange characterization if we're not going to fully critique that. You mean Ike. I don't know who Eisenhower is. Oh, excuse me. Yes, Ike. Ike. <laughs> we like Ike. Um, the, the thing about... Um, Rommel, at least in my mind, is coming from that during the war before, while Rommel was like running across Africa, North, Northern Africa and like capturing everything because he was just, he was using his tanks and no one knew what to do about it because um, no one read his book yet. He was just sort of, he was a sort no one of had like, been rein, no one had been reincarnated from dozens and dozens <laughs> of soldiers and, and warriors in the past also. So that, that too. But Rommel mm-hmm. himself had become like an anti-folk hero, like in the American public, the newspapers kind of like made him this like, ooh, he's the desert fox. He's kind of cool because he's so good at battle. Um, hmm. Even though he was on the enemy side and everyone like really yeah, like, that's weird. like knew that that was the case. Um, and it wasn't until he like totally was defeated that then that kind of that whole idea like switched sides and, and went away largely. Mm-hmm. He does show up later in the film, but it's just like a line. He delivers, yeah. He delivers uh, what I think is probably maybe the film's closing mission statement, which is that Patton will be destroyed by the lack of war. And this is of course backed up by the fact that Patton wanted to go on and invade the Soviet Union. He's like, um, I want to keep fighting in this front, or please, dear God, let me go fight the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he just sort of well, he just sort of walks off into the sunset. It's just, I think what I'm starting to come around to is like, I like that. I think I like that it switches from Mon, from Rommel to Montgomery being the antagonist okay. because it sort of drives home the point that he is here for the glory. Going back yeah. to that beginning scene, sure. we want more medals here. Patton puts his his like presidential his medals stars on, on it yeah. before he actually gets them. Like, it makes sense. I think the problem is that Patton's life story is really boring if you tell it this way. Mm-hmm. Because, like, we, we get it. He, he doesn't care about the human cost on the battlefield because he wants the glory over Montgomery or he respects Rommel. I think that's interesting and nuanced, but it's just not fun to watch if we're not going to, as Tucker was saying, have some kind of anchor that shows the effect of what he's doing, right? Yeah. Because it makes it makes sense why the battles are zoomed out. It makes sense why we switch antagonists. It makes sense that he's defeated by the lack of a war. But like, I I get it. You know, I I think that the 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 strength of of film in this case would have been to make the the detached become the visceral. If we were the soldier, if we were that soldier who. Patton sends back out to the front line if we even just saw a scene of what happened to him next, mm-hmm. right? I think you had to hinge an impersonal story on the personal for it to matter more, I think. Yeah. Uh, and j- just a quick thing, Abram, Patton doesn't pin those stars on himself. He has his two... That, you know what? That's uh, a great point. These two nameless, faceless lackeys do it for him as he sits there smugly and talks to his fellow general or whatever. And I think that points to the fact that... Uh, and I, I know Tucker said he wanted to talk about this. The very, very weak supporting cast here. Yeah. 
I want to say it's George C. Scott outshining all of them, but I, I don't think it is. I think it is just a lack of time and effort given to these other people who we're supposed to care about to some extent. Um, I think that the, I think the weakest one of all is uh, his second like assistant guy because the first one dies and that would have been it would have been good if he was our uh, our our personal in because he was the kind of one who could be on Patton's level and was always there next to Patton. He talked with him about how he was at the battle at Carthage or whatever. Um, but his second assistant is really just a plank of wood that they give lines to. Just no intonation in his line readings at all. Um, and, you know, maybe we are supposed to get that out of, oh, I forget the, uh, the other characters' names. The guy, his his old buddy that he's with. General that he meets Bradley? Up, General, General yeah, Bradley, Bradley, of course. Yeah, yes. General Bradley, basically the only other defined character in this yeah. film. And, and, and I think he's the closest we get to an interesting foil for, uh, for Patton in terms of personality. Mm -hmm. He is definitely second most involved in terms of screen time and i actually do think that he's a pretty good character in this i just wish that he was around more i mm. i actually really like when he's begrudgingly taking uh Patton's shit for the first half of the movie and then turns around at the end and is like no man i i would have i would have released you if i was your uh if i was your superior in this situation and it's interesting to see him make that arc and i think the guy who portrayed him uh Carl Malden did a great job, uh, but he's only in like 25 minutes of a three-hour movie. And of course, that's probably an exaggeration, but he is not in it enough to feel like a particularly constant presence. And the the British, uh, what the British leader, what's his name? You just said it a couple of times, but I forgot. Montgomery. Montgomery, yeah. He's sort of next down on the tier of defined characters, but he kind of exists as this other, the British guy that... Patton is going to fight but if we had gotten more screen time for him and got a better idea of why Patton dislikes him other than he's just his rival uh, or got more development of him leading his own troops and the differentiation between two different leadership styles that would have put Patton's ridiculousness more into concert with more human characters because the, the fact is that those as I said are pretty obviously the only two somewhat defined characters in this film. And that just makes it seem like, okay, this is obviously a patent vehicle, a patent um, it's biopic, but he's kind of just on his own, even though mm -hmm. he's always surrounded by other people who are not well-defined. Yeah. Uh, I do have some more, I do, I have some patent trivia. I know, I thought we said we wanted to run down our, some of our favorite patent moments. Do we want to sort of wrap up with that stuff? Well, I'm curious, what all did this film win at the Academy oh. Awards, because we know well, it won Best Picture, and I think I know that it won an, at least one other award because it's important for uh, one of them peoples on the cat on this on the crew. Um, of course, but I don't know the full extent. Do you have it, Tanner? I do have it pulled up right here. Obviously, this film won Best Picture. It also won, as I said, George C. Scott won for Best Actor. Uh, interestingly, if I can throw in some trivia here, he did. He refused to be nominated or accept the award at the at that the ceremony. That is a classic George C. Scott yeah. thing at the Oscars. He hated the Academy Awards. He apparently, for some reason, he didn't like the voting system and uh, disliked, yeah, disliking the Academy's voting process and called the Academy Awards a big, quote, meat parade. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it was a meat parade to George C. Scott. Uh, it also won Best Director. Franklin Schaffner, also not present at the awards, 
uh, although he did win Best Director. Uh, it won Best Writing, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, I guess, for Francis Ford Coppola, who again for the th- <laughs> who again was not present at the awards. Uh, these other these other winners, though, they were present to accept their awards. Uh, best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography. Oh, sorry. It won Best Film Editing. It was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Special Effects, and Best Score. It is a good score. Should have won, I'd say. Main this, theme is great. The yeah. score is uh, is particularly close to Tucker and I's heart because in um, high school marching band, we had to play the theme song as the football team ran out onto the field. So the Patton theme song, despite... You know, my sort of ambivalence on the film as a whole is forever seared into my brain, and I will yes. never forget the theme song as long as I live. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Obviously, I was humming along to it and tapping my toe and and, and miming my mellophone plays <laughs> as as it was going. But I believe, and Timo, I don't know if you agree with this or not, our version was better. It was a little more oh, catchy. Wow. There's a little more pep in its step in there. Wow. I, I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, it's a great it's a great theme. I think the score is fantastic, but. Jerry uh, Goldsmith, in, eat your heart out. What we played in, in the high school marching band, Carrie Taylor got to some sort of magic on on the sheet <laughs> on those music sheets. I don't know, little tiny like miniature pieces of music that we're reading off of. Yeah, it's a good theme. <clears throat> I I like it in the film, and I guess I liked how we played it on in real life as well. Uh, if I may, shout out my one my, my my number one favorite Patton moment in the movie Patton. It's when the priest uh, rocks up to him and he's like, "Ed Patton, is it true that you you find time to read the Bible every day uh, after every battle or whatever?" And Patton says, "You're goddamn right, every goddamn day." It's a very good moment. Yeah. Do you uh, have? Do you guys have any of any, any that stick out in your guys' head? Well, I sort of uh, maybe this is telling on the film as a whole. I I watched it not. I watched it a couple nights ago, and so I don't actually really remember that many great lines just off the top of my head. When I'm reminded of the scene, I, of course, know the line, but not. Um, I don't have, like, a memory bank full of them. Uh, I'm just going to pull up uh, Patton movie quotes on, oh, on no. Rotten Tomatoes and, and find one. Because I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, yeah, but that's, sure, sure, sure. I'm not really a quotes guy. Uh, oh, here's one, I think, from his opening um, montage on his opening tirade. Uh, Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans mm-hmm. play to win all the time. I, w- I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war. Uh, Q, Tanner, and I looking at each other like... 1970. Oh, speaking of, uh, Patton is the favorite movie of uh, famed criminal Richard Nixon. It, it was Richard <laughs> Nixon's favorite movie. Uh, he apparently watched it before he had to make any big military decisions. So uh, he took the wrong <laughs> lessons from this movie, being uh, an egotist uh, and you know maybe not having a lot of human empathy, and took the and took the wrong lesson by not taking away great strategy, good, good military strategy from this movie. <laughs> Thanks, Dick Nix. That was a, yeah. That's m- new favorite piece of trivia. I love that. Mm. All right. My well, favorite, my favorite line. Amram's got a favorite line. Yeah, my favorite it. line is when he turned and looked into the camera and said, war, war never changes and played a slide whistle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't imagine, uh, going back to the Richard Nixon thing, I can't imagine it was very timely or uh, or efficient <laughs> for Richard Nixon to get a piece of information and say, hang on, and he loads up the reel of Patton, he's got to switch it out in the middle or whatever. He's like, mm, okay, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about what we should do in uh, Cambodia. Yeah. 
What would Patton do? <laughs> oh, and last thing, uh, the the ivory handled revolvers. Remember, they're not they're not they're not, they're not uh, pearl. pearl. They're ivory. Ridiculous. Uh, those were actually Patton's real revolvers that wow. Jersey Scott had. The, the you know. props were not props. They were not props. They were the oh, real. Oh, that's deal. interesting. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Only a New Jersey pimp would have pearl handled revolvers. New Orleans, I believe it was. Oh, oh well. No, a, a New Jersey pimp would have some uh, <laughs> pearlescent, like fake pearl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel like we're winding down on Patton. What do you guys think? <laughs> I, I mean, maybe maybe it's time to read the tides. Should we throw yeah. this thing into the voting machine and figure out where it ends up on our list? I think we I should, Timo. Should have opened the spreadsheet. All right. Uh-oh. Well, we'll, we we'll can, vamp. We can vamp for a yeah. little bit. Read a piece of trivia, Tanner. Uh, another piece of trivia. Um. 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 Uh. Oh boy. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh. Oh. oh, oh, oh uh, this is a good one. Um. Perfect. Piece, That's just about right amount of time. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> when they pulled up, when this movie up, this movie doesn't have any like opening studio credits or anything like that. The 20th Century Fox thing doesn't come up. It just starts with a Tan Hut. So when they screened this for uh, troops uh, overseas or whatever, they would they would be like they'd be rabble rousing and stuff that you do when you're a soldier in the military. And then when they heard that, they would actually stand at attention because thought, they thought it was an actual call to attention. Wow, clever maybe on the part of the filmmakers in yes. um, gathering eyes on the screen for the start of the yes. film. All right, I've got my number. I'm ready to hit the. I'm ready to punch it in and let that yes. math machine figure out the average. You guys have yours as well. Yeah. I do. All right, three, two, one. Okay. Oh, wow, look at this. A couple very close scores is kind of divided into two camps. The average score is five point seven, and the point breakdown starting from the top, we've got two people with like minds. I wonder if you can guess who it is. Maybe it's the two people that live together. Tucker and Tanner both gave it a 6.7. And we always agree. That's their classic thing. Yes. That's the thing that we always do. Inseparable, <laughs> the two of them. Abram gave it a 4.9, and I gave it a 4.5. Interesting. I kind of sounded like I was the hottest at the start of the review. Um, but as, when we got to talking about it, I was like, hmm, what am I going to give this film? I was like, 4.5. So mm-hmm. let's see where a 5.7 <laughs> is going to go on the got list. a hot tie. I know yeah, we do. I, oh. I had a little bit of looking ahead. Mm-hmm. We, a do have a, we do have a tie. tie. All right. I know what the tie is. For yes. the 48th place, this <laughs> film, Patton, is maybe tied with Out of Africa. What do we say? Does this film go above or below Out of Africa? Uh, George C. Scott's performance is more memorable than the entirety of Out of Africa. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I'm going to put the above Me too. I don't even remember what happened in Out of Africa. They go out of Africa, I believe. Okay. Something like at that. Cer- at certain points, but then, oh, you're not going to believe this, they go back to Africa. <laughs> well, if you were hoping for a really intense battle there about the placement of Patton, I'm sorry to disappoint. It's going. <laughs> Abram, what's your official What's your official take? I don't think we heard. I don't think you gave one. <laughs> my, my, I, all I want on the record is that I do not remember what happened in Out of Africa. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So we've got three votes for above and one abstention. Making. Patton go at the 48th place on our list of 60 films. So Mm. there it goes. Now, I'm just super curious. What might we be watching next week? I think there's only one way to find that out. Oh, oh my. Timo, do you have that wheel pulled up so I can can see my little ditty? Oh, okay, okay, hang on. It's been a it's been a long time. We gotta get the pipes warmed up. I did do a little a pipe warming. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. 
I was singing the Encanto soundtrack. Tucker was watching Encanto, and I, I was singing along to it. But here we go. All right. The pipes are warm, baby. The, the, pipes, are, the pipes are warm. Lay me some pipe, Tanner. No, no, I will not. Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? And the number is one. The number one oh, movie. Is it Shape of Water? On our list. Well, thanks, Abram. This is from 2017, Spoilers. directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Sally Hawkins, Doug Jones, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer, Michael Stuhlbarg. Stuhlbarg. Uh, the, yep. Yeah, uh, Shape of Water. There we go. Did you, wow. did you get Doug Jones in there? I he did. did. I did. He did. Okay, good, 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 good. So yeah. the last time I watched this movie, I, I don't think I paid attention for more than four minutes in a oh. single span of time. So I'm All glad right. to be able to revisit it and actually form an opinion on it because, yeah. oh Have man, I did a this? poor job of watching it last time. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen Ship of Water. Okay. All right. So I good. A, a, a rewatch for all of us. How about that? There, there we I go. Think that, I think I might even own this on Blu-ray. Oh, how quaint. A physical media man. <laughs> Well, well, I'm excited. Me I, too. I, I've I've not seen this since probably 2017, early 2018. So, yeah, I definitely haven't seen it since it came out, and so I'm definitely looking forward to catching it again. Thank you guys. Definitely, definitely, for sure, dude. Um, thank you guys for joining me on this discussion of Patton. But I was gonna sing the theme song. I don't think that's. Uh, I think we'd get copyright strike, despite the fact. Oh, it'd that be too. It'd be too close. I'm, I'm just too good, man. I was just really good in high school marching band. Um, mm. Interesting film. A uh, lot to think about, maybe with its nuance, lack thereof, depending on what you think. Um, and if you have any strong opinions, of course, head over to the YouTube page, write up your comment down below. Try to be a little bit more original than these four young yeah. ones don't know anything we about We challenge films. you not to include our age in your critique of us. It'll be tough. It'll be tough, I know. But, it's, but I do think that this is going to be a, a controversial take. This is obviously a very well-regarded film and, and yeah. considered a classic for many people older than us. And yeah, this is not. This is going to rub, rub some feathers. It's going to rub Go some jimmies. Go for facial hair opposed to age as your main vector of criticism this week. Absolutely. Mm. I, I welcome it. Try That's... try to critique my mustache. I dare you. I double dare you. Dear commenter, it'll be better. You'll it'll be better for you in the long run. Um Okay, enough of that. Shape of Water is yeah, next right. week. Um you know, <laughs> you know who it's directed by, Guillermo del Toro, 2017. Looking mm -hmm. forward to it and definitely gonna be looking forward to discussing it. So we'll see you then. Peace.